Hi, everybody. This is your friend, Anthony Burrows, host for Life and Finances with Sacrifice and Service. The issue and the program I'm looking at for today is called The Pandemic Money Conversation with Your Child. So that's the pandemic money conversation with your child, and in some cases it may be children instead of child, but it depends on your situation. Now, you know we are still living and existing in this COVID-19 pandemic period. And it's upon us like nothing we've ever experienced before. You know, to, to give you an idea how off guard it has caught me, and I didn't think it would last this long, was that I remember in April when the announcement was made on the particular job that, I, that I'm on, and said, hey, notify your team members that, you know, we're going to have this two-week lockdown. So I met with the team. And, you know, you discuss and there are a lot of questions and concerns. But at the end, I remember saying, hey, see you all in two weeks. And here we are now, seven months later, lockdown, back up, in and out, and going through all the trials and the tribulation of it. But you know what? This reminds me of how life is so cyclical. Now, if you live like me in Nassau and throughout the Bahamas and some of the other Caribbean nations, you know we live in Hurricane Alley. And the thing about Hurricane Alley is that for a certain time of the year, June straight up to the beginning of November, is considered to be hurricane season. And the thing about it, with hurricane, they come in the varying forces. So you have like your five-year storm. Then you have your 10-year storm which means which happens every five, every 10 years. Then you got your 20 and 25 year storm. You have your 50 and your 75 year storm, and then your 100 year storm. Now, Dorian is believed to have been a 75 to 100 year storm. Hurricane Irma, the way it mashed up New Orleans and parts of Louisiana and Texas and all of that, was also believed to be a 100 year storm for those areas. And then pandemic, apparently are cyclical also. But now, you know, I went and did kind of my research on, on pandemics. And I said, let me see the, those times when the, they're recorded. And the first recorded one I saw was 430 BC, the Peloponnesian War. Now, this was basically all of North Africa. You had Egypt, Ethiopia, Libya, and all the countries in those areas. It's 430 BC, 430 years before Christ was born. And it was estimated that probably two-thirds of the population perished. Wow, two-thirds. And then when historians now look back at what was described in their writings and what have you as the symptoms, they're thinking, hey, you know what? It was typhoid fever. And then I looked at another one, 165 AD. And it was the Antonine Plague, which lasted for 15 years. 15 years. I was like, oh my goodness. But they didn't have the medical technology and whatever that we have today. Then there was another one, the 250 AD, the Cyprian Plague. And that lasted for a couple of years as well, killing a large percentage of the population, the world's population. And you know what makes us so vulnerable? City living. City living 
and then the mode of transportation i can be here kicked back in nassau on the beach in the middle of the, the day today and then tomorrow evening i can be in sydney australia in a restaurant or in a classroom so this mode of transportation that we have now makes it rapid most of the plagues that move in the earlier periods of history mainly were centered around wars or just poverty and bad situations that allowed situations to get out of hand and as we go forward and think of the challenges that's happening with us now we got numerous challenges coming about now with this of course we have sickness we have a lot of deaths and of course the main thing that has people up in arms are the economic fallouts that goes with it now i hear persons talk about all oh, the herd immunity so let's just get back to normal and the herd immunity would take care of us and the, the theory behind the herd immunity which was a theory and only just that a theory started about 60 to 70 years ago and it was primarily among veterinarians that actually started this sort of thing but here it is has made its way into people who in medical situation well of course doctors have taken the hippocratic oath so there's no way they can subscribe to something like this because the herd immunity means let those who are last and least you allow them to perish and then you have a situation where the strongest will come out and it's the, the and the theory behind it is that the stronger and the fitter now in the case of herds you're thinking of goats sheep and cattle in the case with goats and cattle you're going to come up with a better milk because you now have the strongest that would have made it you can come up with better meats better cheeses you can you see the the philosophy behind that i can remember doing a course called meats and other foods i did i think it was like 1991 did it in kingston jamaica and it's the the most i mean the most comprehensive and the best course i ever took in my life extremely challenging everybody was competing against each other and um, to me engineering school didn't even compare with that course but because it was things i walk out of that course that i could apply to everyday living you know just daily living because you know my position on education by and large education as it is is a squander of time and a waste of time but i guess everything has its place and one of the things came about the veterinarian who was doing one of the courses one of the classes that day and the class ran from like about eight in the morning until four in the evening he had one or two breaks throughout the course of the day but the thing is he spoke on how they would actually practice this herd immunity was that basically they would separate all of the weak ones once um disease got into the into the herd separate the weak ones they would treat the the stronger ones and, and mo in most cases they didn't need treating and they would make it out and of course well the the weaker ones would die but you know that's something that to go with it now when you look at it again with what's going on of course we have all the children now they are in virtual classrooms and man this week or was it last week either last week or this week i had a conversation with several parents one parent was weeping another parent was pulling their hair out the other one was rowing ranting and raving these are parents all who have public school children and you know what 
their children and instances could not get on and they were missing class and the whole nine yards and i was like oh my goodness now if you check back a couple months ago you'd find i did a piece on private schools tuition to pay or not to pay at the end i surmised that hey go ahead and pay that if you're in a position to pay you see i'm of the philosophy if you're going to make that investment in those children in our bahamas and given our situation and circumstance in many instances you should do it in a private school system because the system is structured in a way where the teachers have to serve the students and you as a parent whereas in the public system the teachers basically are committed and dedicated to the teachers union and they are committed to some of the other things that not necessarily has to do with the commitment to the students now there are some I'm sure they are, the vast majority of teachers are faithful and committed to their task, but their obligation oftentimes is decided and pushed by the teachers' union. And I guess the union has their issue. Now, with the parents losing their mind, it's putting us as a nation in a fall-behind position because now if the children aren't getting into the classes, what's going to happen when these kids hit the job market? They're going to be ill-equipped. Well, even with the system, the majority still aren't equipped, but they're going to be further unequipped. And as we go forward, we must remember, as many individuals, families, and nations now going through this period of brokenness, and everybody, nations, individuals, families, having to try and scrap and scrape and see how they can make it. And... This is why I say, you know, it's so important. Persons believe that families and individuals should function differently from the way um, nations and governments should function. But I'm of the opinion that nations and governments should function economically and financially in the manner that families and individuals should, which is put some money aside, plan for the rainy day, lay out your plans, work those plans, and live within the budget but of course you know my position governments always have that big tree in the backyard and what i call that that's the tax increase tree they can always go back there get under the tree set the wheelbarrow or like in some cases spread this put the spread on the ground and shake the tree and watch the tax increase dollars just drop in the spread roll it up and then go to the treasury with it of course we're gonna have to foot the bill you see Many nations, again, families and individuals, they now hoping and seeking miraculous deliverance. Wow, miraculous deliverance. So, in all of this, remember, my topic is the pandemic money conversation with your child slash your children. And the most difficult ta task, I should say, for many is having to look their children in the face and then break down to them what's going on right now, especially when it comes to economics, because they'll notice, hey, we don't have all the amenities and we're not doing and going and all the things that we used to do. So that being the case now, especially as an adult, you've always been in a position, male or female, you've been in a position where you've been a provider, a protector for your family. So now that you're in a position maybe out of work or limited time at work or the income is greatly diminished or not coming in at all, 
Or you may be in a situation where you hey, at national insurance getting unemployment assistance, social services getting different assistance, at the food line getting assistance there. And you now may feel, oh goodness, I am a failure. But let's remember, situation, chance, and circumstance come upon us all. And there go everybody but for the grace of God who is not in that situation. So, sit, so to have that conversation with your child or your children is difficult. And that brings back something to me, you know, talking about children and money and all of that. I can recall that my son is 15 now, but at the time he was probably about 8 years old, 7, 8 years old. My wife and I were having a conversation and so, you know, we had a, a, a stint, probably like a three-month stint. You had a lot of things came due, you know, your house and car insurance and just different things came due, you know. And so we're having this conversation. I say, boy, wow. I say, man, I'm more to the broke side now. She say, oh, I wouldn't talk, right? And so we're saying, and I've learned from this. You don't go into this how broke I am and pity, pity me. And a child cannot see that, you know, it's just a, 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 on the super surface, a superficial conversation. So he hears us. Then he, he disappears from us. We weren't even aware that he was there. He came back out and he had $60. And that was money he had gotten, like, you know, from, from um, grandparent and then from his godparent and, you know, different things, good report card and all that persons had given him. So he says to me, Daddy, see here, um, you could borrow, you could use this money until whenever, right? And I looked at him, shocked. And then, of course, I burst out laughing. I did love it with laughter, I should see. And as I laughed, then it hit me. Oh, my goodness. He thought that we were serious. And so I explained to him, no, you know, when we say we are broke, we don't mean that, you know, we don't have any money at all and that we wouldn't be able to pay the bills and do all of the different things. So he then, it was a lesson for me, though. Got to be careful in those conversations, especially, well, any conversation, but especially when it comes to money around children. Now, having this pandemic money conversation with your child, first and foremost, find a comfortable place, a comfortable setting to have that conversation. Make it a familiar environment. Now, some children, depending on the situation, you may want to do it, maybe in their bedroom, maybe in the living room, maybe outside sitting down on the benches and, you know, that sort of thing. And remember now, you don't have to do everything in one sitting you can probably you know have a light casual conversation and then then at a later time um kind of wrap the conversation up with, an, with another part of it the second thing i want you to consider is make the conversation or your discourse age appropriate now for most children you don't have unless they're an adult or you know to the very old to the older age you don't give them no nitty-gritty details. No nitty-gritty details. Then reassure them that everything will be all right. Show no negativity at all. See, let them know that their needs will be met. That yes, food will be on the table. The electricity will be on. There will be hot water in the, in the pipes. And, th and things of that sort. 
and also at the same time, yes, we'll still have our car. Yes, we'll still be able to go for drives and all of the different things that you would that you would do like that with them. Now, if you're receiving any assistance, that's government assistance, this is a good time to explain to them that, hey, national insurance, social services, the food program, these are society's safety net taking setup to take care of us when we should fall in a, in, a, in a position where we may need some help. Explain society's social and society's safety net. And that'll get them to understand, have no stigma attached to it. Now, if you're talking to older children, you can lay out what the challenges are. Just like someone who might be 16, 17 and older, right? You can lay out to them, hey, these are the challenges, right? But then quickly make reference to times in the past when you all as a family overcame difficulties. There may have been a time when someone was seriously ill and there was God who intervened, healed them. And then how you all financially made it during that time. There may have been a death in the family in the past or even job loss in the past and point those out and say, hey, we made it through that. We'll make it through this. Now, even with the older child, don't make reference to any specific bills. I wouldn't talk about time frames. No reference to specific bills or time frames. And then don't overwhelm them. Again, remain calm, level-headed, and then show yourself as resolved to get through this. Another item is discuss possible solutions. Now, you can talk about, hey, instead of having the heater on, 24 hours, you'll say, you know what, we'll have the heater turn on in the morning at 6, at 6, at 6 a.m. And then we will turn it off at about 9 a.m. And then turn it on again in the evening at about 6 or 5, you know, back and forth when the times persons would be um, needing to bed. Then uh, there's another thing that we'll do with this. Start planning your meals ahead instead of just opening the fridge cereal, what I going to cook today. They can tend to be wastage. Start having some outdoor entertainment. Also remember, a good extracurricular activity and family bonding time is, hey, start a garden, a family garden, and you all work at that together. And then look at ways, and with their input, to be an under-consumer. So instead of maximizing consumption, you'll now under-consume. And I'm talking about in terms of um, cutting back, basically. Another thing now is use this as a teachable moment and teachable moments this is teaching them how to adapt to change oh man if you can get them to uh, how to adapt to change then it also teaches them how to meet issues and life challenges and problems head on that way they don't bury their head in the sand when issues come up in life when they become adults a good time also to teach them the value of money Show how hours spent putting in for work reflects and impacts money. Show how goods and services require money and so therefore value of money. And then with this item while teaching this, you'll show them that, you know what, money is simply a tool or resource. Just like a hammer, you would use a hammer as a tool or a saw as a, as a resource. It, that, hey, money is just a tool or resource to be used by you. 
And then in this situation also, you can express your own feelings. But here you go. You must exude with confidence and certainty. And then say to them how you plan to improve the situation. And this is a good time to let them see what to learn the difference between needs and want. And then also teach them, you'll also say, hey, let's project and set some future goals for us as a family to get through this. So with that being it there, the final item I'd like to touch on really is that you're going to use this time as a reinforcement and preparation for their future. Because let's remember, I've always said there are three things that you want to do fast with children are concerned. Three things. The first one, you want the child to have a decision for Jesus. And after they've, you've encouraged them to have a decision for Jesus, or even if you haven't made a decision for Jesus, it's a good time for you to do it and then encourage them to join you in that process, a decision for Jesus. So having a decision for Jesus now, they are preparing their lives as they move ahead to build on a sturdy and a sure and solid foundation. So they'd be able to know, hey, what it is I believe, why I believe what it is I believe, and how it can direct my life. The next item you want to guide them towards is preparation for life's occupation slash profession. You see, you want it to be a situation where they will say, hey, I want to be, I want to do whatever the case is or go wherever. And then they start the preparation. So if they want to become a carpenter, you may, hey, introduce them to someone who's a carpenter who can mentor them and show them. Or you may get them some tools or you may guide them along and they'll do the reading and the research on, hey, becoming a carpenter. And then what happens too, a lot of children are looking around now and they're seeing, hey, Mr. Joe across the road, he, he, he is a lawyer. But you know what? He locked down at home. He's a non-essential worker. And his income probably has stopped. And they look across the next street or they look right in the house. But my daddy is a carpenter. And he's putting on his outfit and he's heading to work every morning. And coming back in the evening and then bringing home the bacon, if you want to say it like that, but bringing home an income and keeping the house running. So those are things they're going to look at also. So it's preparation for a life occupation. And then the final thing far as reinforcement and preparation for their future is preparation for a life's mate. That's the husband or the wife. You see, so in terms of preparing for a life mate or for a spouse, you have to yourself be prepared to become a spouse. So if you have a son or a daughter, hey, they should be learning how to cook, clean, how to keep a house. Then they, of course, must learn how to handle money. And so having that money conversation, this pandemic money conversation with them, prepares them so that when they become a spouse, they can then make decisions and guide themselves through the process of difficult times because we're going to have more hurricanes. And as men around the Bahamas keep cutting down hills and digging canals, these are just avenues where hurricanes and the water can just inundate us and massacre and destroy us. 
but so the ideas they'll then be prepared so when they are now purchasing properties and they're looking around to get a home and do things they will be wise in their decision process so remember this reinforcement after you've had the conversation the pandemic money conversation with your child or your children is that you want to reinforce and prepare them for the future with a decision for jesus right preparation for life's occupation life work life profession whatever you want to call it and then preparation for their life mate so you will have raised a person a child who becomes an adult that's able to bring about the much needed change in our great commonwealth and you know as a nation we are in need of change when you look at our educational system you look at our medication our medical system and situation when you look at our political system a lot of changes that need to be made and this generation that we prepare can if we prepare them properly could bring about those changes and we may not be here to see it but we'll somehow when um when things when jesus should put in his appearance we will know that they would have made those changes you see now you want your child to be jesus focused and then you want them to have financial literacy that's the goal next week i will talk about teaching children about money that'll be my part two of this but we had to deal with hey this pandemic and the money and the concerns that's running through a lot of children as well as adults mine so until next time may the god of heaven and his son the christ bless and prosper you